I'm Brian Jones. And I'm Seth Martin. And this this is is the Real Real Estate Estate Investing Show. This is going to be a different type of episode. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we've we've got a lot going on in this world today. Um, some really good news, some not so good news. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I prefer to try to get away from social media as much as I can and all the bad negative news. So tell us a little bit. You had your your, your baby girl. I did, man. It was uh, it was quite the experience. You know, obviously when you're leading up to having this type of situation, people tell you all their experiences and stuff like that. And it's, you know, it's obviously very helpful, right? But I don't care what anybody tells you. It still will never prepare you for what it's actually like. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I've, I don't know if I've ever experienced such a roller coaster ride of emotions, um, in the span of, you know, basically a day and a half. Um, so we knew our due date was um, on on a sun on that Sunday, and we we didn't we had a scare on Saturday. We thought or not a scare, but a false alarm, if right, you will. Right. And um, Christine and I went into the hospital. They said, "No, you're you're still just dilated till one. Everything's good." So we kind of went on. We we figured at this point now we were just going to end up getting induced on the seventeenth, which was St. Patrick's Day. Um, we were already making plans for that. Um, and then I had a meeting on Tuesday morning. She had a, her doctor's appointment, just our weekly, you know, at that point they're, they're doing a weekly checkup every week. And what's funny is, is, uh, Monday night before I, before Tuesday morning, she said, Hey, I said, what? And she goes, I think you better get a lot of sleep tonight. (laughs) And I said, why? And she said, I just feel like this is going to happen anytime. I'm hurting. My ribs are hurting. My, you know, I'm hurting down low along my pelvic bone. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, it's coming and going. It's just really weird. And I'm, I don't know. It doesn't, something, something's not right. And I said, okay. And so anyway, go to bed, get up the next morning. Had a, had an early 8 a.m. meeting that morning. Fast forward to, I had a, a 9.30 I'm in, I'm in the middle of my 9:30. It's actually we're working on some project management stuff for my development, and um, she calls me and she said, "So they're admitting me," and I'm like, "What?" And she's like, "They're admitting me I'm like, to the hospital. Are you okay?" <laughs> and she's like, "We're having this baby," and I'm like, "Oh my god!" So <laughs> blow out of that meeting, go get all of our stuff at the house, race to the hospital, right. get to the hospital, we get in there, and. She, you know, and I'm not going to go into a ton of details today, but needless to say, she had a pretty difficult labor. It lasted for over 24 hours. Um, it was very, very rough. We had some, we had some good experiences. We had some bad ones too. Um, just, I think that's typical with any, any type of, you know, birth experience, right. you know, um, there were parts of it that I really liked and I thought the doctors did a great job. That were parts that I thought I was going to be on the five o'clock news for, <laughs> you know, throwing a, a doctor out the window, um, you know, because you're always trying to err towards, you know, what your 
significant other wants. And yeah. Oh like yeah. So, and so my wife's doctor, when she had our son, yep. legitimately left when my wife was six centimeters. Cause she, you know, they don't really start making you push or whatever to get mm-hmm. eight or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, long story short, she literally left in them after checking my wife. She said, okay, we'll, we'll have a baby probably within the next hour or so. I'm going to run to Starbucks real quick and grab me a cup of coffee and then I'll be back and then we'll get this thing going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, the the thing that happened with us, and, and again, I don't want to go into too much detail because I'm sure Christina would not appreciate sure. me sharing too much. But um, the way our hospital that we delivered at works is they have an on-staff doctor, mm-hmm. but then they also have residents. And those residents are the ones that are actually doing the procedures and stuff under supervision of the doctor. You know, it's through Vanderbilt and sure. stuff like that. And so um, the doctor that we had when she arrived at the hospital it was on for a 12-hour shift and then of course different doctor comes in for another 12-hour shift and so on and so forth well the doctor that we got in the morning is actually our doctor and had been one of her OBGYNs throughout the entire process and um we really liked him he was a she called him my doctor twin <laughs> um he was bald tall um you know had a beard just a little bit skinnier face. Like that's really it. So it was a little awkward, but at the same time, like (laughs) it was great. No, he was a great doctor. And then in the night we had a different female doctor. Um, and she was a nice lady, but like, she just, I don't know. I, I felt she was a little bit pushy with a lot of things and it started like rubbing me the wrong way. And so anyway, fast forward, then we get to the next morning, Dr. Twin comes back and literally it's, it's craziest thing in the world. We, they checked her at around, I don't know, 5.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. that morning. She was at a nine. She was really, really, really close. He comes in at 7 a.m., checks her, comes back an hour later at 8, and says, we're going to push this baby. And at 8.36, my baby girl was awesome. in the incubator. Um, again, the flood of emotions I was just not prepared for. Right. I mean... <laughs> I'm not a big crier. Like, I'm not saying that I don't cry. I'm just saying, like, it's not something that happens for very long. But I literally ugly cried. Like, I, I told my <laughs> my best one of my best friends, I said, you know, I ugly cried like a 16-year-old girl that lost her first boyfriend. That's literally how I, I mean, it was the most unbelievable thing. Like, I and I couldn't stop. Right. Like, it was like, I would be talking to myself in my head going... Calm down a little bit. Calm down. It's okay. Like this is great. She's you, you, and I. I just look back at her and just start bawling again. <laughs> and um, you know, she's a very healthy baby, very strong. I mean, she um, she latched right away. Like we've had no trouble with her um, as far as feedings go. We've had right. no trouble with any of that. You know, obviously, we've had a few nights uh, of a very very little sleep, right. but for the most part, you know, she was a week old yesterday. Um, you know, I would say of those seven days, four of them, we've gotten pretty good night's sleeps awesome. with her. I mean, not obviously not seven or eight hours right, straight, right. but we've got to sleep in two and three hour increments, which, you know, if, if you're going to bed, start going to bed at seven or eight o'clock, you can make that work, yep. you know? Um, but man, I, I, I honestly, you know, we've, we've talked on this show multiple times about having a why. Right. Um, and it's weird. Like, you know, before she was born. You know, my why was plenty strong enough, I feel like. Um, but coming out of the hospital and getting home, you know, obviously we've taken it easy over the last few days. But, like, I've got this, like, 
burning sensation in my stomach every morning when I wake up, like to go work and do things and try to make this life better. Um, you know, obviously Christine reins me in a little bit like, Hey, you need to be here with us and stuff right. like that. And so I'm trying to get as much done as I can remotely, um, as possible. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know any other way I can describe how, I guess what it boils down to is it's really hard to put into words. Right. Um, they, she's absolutely perfect. Like I just, I can just lay and look at her and, you know, I mean for hours and watch her breathe, you know, it's really weird. My, my high school basketball coach, who's one of my really good friends had actually told me that that was the case. He's like, you know, when I had my little girl, um, I would just lay, she'd be laying in her bassinet and I'd be just sitting there watching her for, <laughs> and next thing you know, three hours had went by and I'd right. done nothing but watch her breathe. And I'm doing that all the time. You know, I, I think back to the first or second night, I guess it was the first night we were home from the hospital and she was not, she's not doing well that first night home. It was a different environment, all this stuff. She was just not sleeping. Matter of fact, I don't think I slept more than about five minutes at a time, to be honest. You know, it was just like fall asleep and wake back up. Right. And, um, and I, I partially it was not because she was crying, but it was also because like, you know, I'd fall asleep and then in my mind I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God, she's still breathing, you know, right. like, and you know, and I, I've talked to other parents and they said, listen, that's, you're going to do that. First time he's like, wait till the first time she's got a little cold or something, mm-hmm. you know, like you're going to, you're not going to sleep because you're going to be watching. Just make sure that she's not coughing or, you know, choked or whatever. And I said, okay, so that makes sense. But anyway, that first night, um, I got up with her at like three in the morning, two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. And I've got a recliner rocker in my bedroom mm-hmm. and we got into it, me and her, and we started rocking and it's really weird. Like i didn't fall asleep, but I was so tired that I was half asleep right. with her. And so um, I got my eyes closed. I I literally rocked this little girl. And she wasn't really asleep. She was just comfortable, you know, right. um, from 2.30 or 3 in the morning until like 6. Wow. <laughs> and I, the next thing I know, like the sun's kind of peeking through the windows. And I'm like, oh, my God. And so it's 6 <laughs> o'clock in the morning. And so I go and lay her down and... um. Or no, actually, I woke her mom up. And mom fed her, and then Saturday, you know, my parents were there, and um, we were lucky enough to get some naps in. So sure. that's that's uh, that's crucial. You know, I, I recommend anybody if you can have parents in town those first two or three days after you get home from the hospital. Those are those are life changers. You know, they like are. I uh, I I'm telling you, we talked about that the other day. I mean, I'd called you and asked how everything was going, and and I was like, look, the one thing that nobody ever prepared me for, and you said this too, you goes, nobody can prepare you for that first night you take that baby home. Mm-mm. And you have the response, you, you are solely responsible for the well-being of that other for person sure. laying in that cradle or whatever next to you. For sure. And it's just a different feeling. For I mean, sure. It really is. Uh, well, you know, we made jokes leading up to the birth. Christine and I, I was like, man. After we have this baby, we're gonna feel really strange when we're leaving the hospital. We're gonna be looking at the doctors like you're all letting us leave with this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, obviously we're joking, but right. it was it was really funny, like um, to know that. Uh, I, I but I think that's very important that you do feel that way a little bit, you right. know. Like if you're just like, "Hey, I got this," super confident, like maybe overly confident. I think that can lead to problems. Yeah, you know, I think it oh, leads yeah. same way in business, same way in in everything. Right. Same thing. If you're underconfident, if you don't feel like 
look, I don't know what I'm doing at all. Yeah, that's a problem too. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I think, you know, for me, I it, it's been calculated, calculated confidence is what I would call it. You know, I'm fully aware that um, I don't know everything. Right. Which keeps me extremely careful. Uh, but at the same time, I know that, like, I know how to keep her clean. I know how to keep her from getting infections. I know how to keep her fed. I know how to keep her asleep. I know how to keep her alive when she's asleep, you know, I mean, for the most part. But, you know, one thing about being a parent that I'm already discovering super quickly is, is that there are certain things that you just can't control. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. you just you just have to pray or whatever it is that you believe that your baby is going to be safe and that, that things are not going to happen. You know, you're talking about all the negativity. Obviously we're in the middle of um, a lot of crazy stuff right now. I mean, especially here in middle Tennessee. I mean, we, we just had a massive tornado come through. I don't know. You know, we were, we were actually going to do a show about that um, a week or so ago or two weeks ago. Um, I went and volunteered and went through some sub, subdivisions in Mount Juliet, and the destruction was unbelievable. Yeah, it really was. Um, but I tell you what was so inspiring is that people in Middle Tennessee kind of just banded together and tried to help people that were in need. And, you know, I, I know coming from a small town that that's always been the case when, you know, when somebody's coming from where I'm from, when somebody's parent died or their significant other died or something like that happened, you know, people would bring over meals for the next two weeks. Like we always try to take care of our own. And to see that in a big city like, you know, Nashville is, it was very, very heartwarming and like Mm -hmm. very like, wow. Um, The sad part about that is, is then, you know, we fast forward a week and a half later and people are losing their minds. Right over this coronavirus. Now, I'm, I'm, I want to preface what I just said with, I'm not saying that it's not important. Right. I do think that the, the disease is, is dangerous. Um, I, I, I'm not discounting that in any way, shape, or form, but I also think that we have to keep perspective at mm-hmm. all times. Unfortunately... I was talking to our, our good buddy Trey yesterday about it. And of course I love him, <laughs> but he gets a little extreme about it. And he, he would does. even say that. Yeah, I think he, he would even say that. And I, and I look at the end of the day, that's what's right for him. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I don't have any problem with that. I, I think my biggest thing with it is, is that, and, and he agrees with me on this and I don't think he's necessarily on the extreme of one side or the other. I think he's just extreme about being where he's at. Right. right? Um, but we have, we have two groups in America right now that are either and I almost feel like it's almost where we're at politically. Yeah. You know, it's almost like we've either, we're either way right or way left. Right. And unfortunately that's just not the real world. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like less and less people are are in the middle anymore. And it, it's very apparent in this virus situation. You know, I'm watching people that are basically like, we need to lock down the country, shut everything down, like basically try to turn the United States into what I would call Chernobyl. Right. You know, oh, like yeah, for sure. Yeah. Basically. And I mean, obviously I'm not talking about a nuclear site or anything like that, but but you get what I'm saying. Like yeah. basically 
ghost streets and things like that. Right. Um, and then you have the other group of people that are the extreme. It's a like, hoax. Yeah, yeah, it's not real at all. I'm right. going to go to party and you know be with 200 people in a in the same space. No, right. That's that. Both of those ideologies are irresponsible. Completely irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I I think we just have to take it seriously. Take the precautions. You know, like I I was having this conversation yesterday with a, a client of mine. That's, I mean, I love him, but he's freaking out. Sure. And I, I understandably, like, I mean, because his business is revolving around being around people, just like right. ours are. Yeah. Um, but I told him, I was like, look, man, nobody's telling you that you can't have meetings and stuff. What you need to do is you just need to be very thorough about what meetings you are taking. Right. So, for example, we're here together today shooting this podcast. Right. Um, I would, you know, I would want to stay in touch with you going forward, like, you know, how many people have you met with this week? How many people have you met with? To just kind of make sure that we're not contributing to the problem. Well, and not only that, but we're, we're doing the responsible thing. So we're sitting about six feet apart mm-hmm. right now. Um, that's kind of the recommendation from the mm-hmm. CDC is to stay six feet apart. Yep. Uh, we haven't shook hands, which we normally do, right. or do right. a bro hug or whatever. Whatever, yeah, right? exactly. You know, we, we haven't done any of that. So there's things that you can do. And, and honestly, in the long run, this may be something that we look back and say, why did we ever shake hands to begin with? It's yep. like, it's one of the, the, the dirtiest things that people don't think about because mm-hmm. not enough people wash their hands. I can't yep. tell you how many people before this whole outbreak happened that I would see go into a restaurant to go eat or whatever. And I'd be in the restroom. I'd be there washing my hands. Somebody would get through and just walk straight out the door. Never Ooh. even touch the sink. Mm. Now it's like everybody that I see is washing their hands. You know, and I, and I well, I will tell you this. When you have a child, I think it changes your perspective a Absolutely. little bit on that. Yeah, it does. You know? um, but, um, you know, you're exactly right. I think that we've we've became a society that's a little bit irresponsible. I mean, not a little bit. We're a lot irresponsible. Um, and it's been happening for years. You know, I always make jokes with my dad because he's like, oh, man, kids and everybody ain't what they used to be. And, you know, the old man saying that everybody says. And, you know, here I am, 37 years old, and I'm looking at you know, mid 20 year olds. And I'm like, Oh my God, it has changed a lot since I was that age. For sure. And, you know, I, I try to take perspective and say, well, maybe I'm just not remembering correctly, you know, or whatever, but you know, I, I'm not, I mean, and, and I think it's obviously a, a, a product of environments too. Right. You know, it's a product of technology. It's a product of where the world is, you know, um, obviously I, you just kind of hit a nail on the head a little bit earlier. I I believe totally that social media is the biggest blessing and at the same time, the biggest curse of our generation. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. I, social media can connect you to people that you would have never been able to connect to 10, 15 years ago. Right. And at the same time, social media can connect you to people 10 or 15 that you could have never connected to 10 or 15 years ago in, in a bad way. Right. Oh yeah. You know, um, and it, and it kind of opens up the, the door for positivity and negativity. You know, I, I was telling Christine last night, I literally, and this is not a joke. I literally get probably 15 to 20 friend requests on Facebook a day from people. I don't know. Right. I mean, Easily. And listen, I'm not marketing myself on Facebook. I do not market myself on Facebook at all. I only market myself on LinkedIn. That's it. 
I get the same, you know, I probably get half as many on LinkedIn, probably eight to 10, maybe seven, eight, nine, 10, somewhere in there. Um, But most of those people are connecting with me on a business front. Yeah. A lot of them are trying to sell me something or marketing program or whatever. You know, I told Christine yesterday, I said, out of every good contact that I make on LinkedIn, I usually make two or three ones that are trying to sell me something that I don't need or whatever. And, but on Facebook, like, I'm not kidding you. It's literally 15 to 20 a day. And those people, I do not know. They're not trying to sell me something. They're just going on and randomly adding people. I don't know if it, you know, I don't know if it's Russian bots, <laughs> making that right. joke. but, or what it is, but it's, it's unbelievable. And then, you know, probably a year ago, I was in the habit of just whoever added me, I added them because I was, you know, trying to build, build a, I guess an algorithm on Facebook or whatever. I thought that's where I wanted to market myself. Right. Um, I was wrong. And man, like I've went on so many deleting sprees in the last like six or seven months because like, I just get bombarded with like crazy stuff on there. Like, oh, yeah. you know, this and, and you know, I've been doing it in the last two or three days because you know, I'm rocking my daughter in my recliner and I'm looking at Facebook and I'm like, Oh my God, that person's whoa. Whoa, right. whoa. <laughs> and, you know, and I think we have to, we have to start taking inventory right. of, of what's going on in our lives. You know, we've, we've talked so much on here about mindset and frameworks and stuff like that. I think one of the biggest things with frame frameworks and mindset is, is taking inventory of who is in and out your life and the, and also taking inventory of the, the content and information that you're consuming. You're a product of your environment. You so much are. You, you and really are. If you are not taking inventory of that, like you're opening yourself up to a lot of stuff. Like, I, you know, I, I take, for example, my cousin. He is extremely intelligent. Extremely intelligent. And he takes in a lot of good content to, to make himself more intelligent, to make him more knowledgeable about what he's doing, all those kind of things. But he also takes in a ton of garbage <laughs> Alex Jones and uh, well no this is more well yeah kind of I mean it's not Alex Jones in, right. in particular but right. but similar types of you know stuff about wanting you know like moving to a third world country to like and renouncing his citizenship to the United States because the United States is evil and blah, blah. Oh, like so don't the get me opposite wrong. of Alex Jones yeah okay. and don't okay. get me wrong I think I think <clears throat> there are obviously aspects of our country that are very, very corrupt and evil and all those kind of things. But, you know, like, could you imagine, let, let me just put this in perspective. If he would have done that a year ago and he was living in China mm-hmm. or he was living in Italy, I mean, I know it's not a third world country, but went to another country. Like, right. what would his life be like right now? So somebody I listen to, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Obviously, I love the format, right? But somebody I listen to every single day, they've been asking a question over the last several weeks, and it was even before the coronavirus stuff hit, which is, if you could pick any time in the history of the world to live, when would it be? And right. if your answer is not the United States in 2020, there's something wrong with you. I mean, we, we're so far advanced over anything that anything that's ever occurred in the past. It's um, It is unbelievable. I mean, you... You would have people probably say, you know, or from here that, you know, feel like they've been burnt by the man or whatever, say, well, I'd rather live in China or I'd rather, if you've never been there, you, you really need to re rethink that statement. Right. You know, I, I will tell you my experience with China. Now I've never actually been there, but 
I've had a lot of dealings with stuff, which I, I, a few years ago, I tried to start it like a little small import export business, um, before I really got back into real estate. Um, and I connected with, it was a lot around building products and real estate, but same thing. Right. And, um, I met a lot of people there and what's so interesting is, is that he was showing me pictures and, and videos that he had taken over there. And, and, you know, I'm walking, I'm watching people walk around in China, just like us, you know, brand new pair of Levi's, two cell phones, you know, nice clothes, blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, well, their quality of life is not that much different than ours. And he's like, but what you don't understand is, is that there are 10 people living in a 800 square foot apartment stacked on top of each other. You know, there are, there are cities in China, for example, that have been designed that have never been built. They're waiting just for the money to build them like master cities, but they're built around basically almost manufacturing enslavement. You know, it's, it's, they're not enslaving the people per se, but I mean, you know, they're, they're building factories to manufacture product and that's what the entire city's built around. Now, I say that to say, is that bad? Uh, maybe if it's a communist type of situation. Right. Yes. Um, but that right there is why I really think, or what I think America is missing. We, you know, I am not going to get on a political soapbox about Donald right. Trump today. <laughs> I promise you. Um, I'm, I'll be the first to say that I'm, I don't necessarily care for the man that much, like as, as a person. Um, but I, I think if there's any instance that he has been truly and accurately right about one of his opinions, it is being shown right now. Right. And I'm going to well, tell you why he said before he ever came in to office that China, we were far too dependent on China and that we needed to break that tie because... China manufactures all of our medicine. Ninety-five percent of all of our equipment. medicine comes from China. Yeah, and they're not exporting it right now. Right. Where I mean, thank God we do live in 2020, right. where we do have the ability to say, okay, this company over here is going to set aside and go manufacture test kits and things right. like that. Thank God. Right. But it's very apparent that the direction that we've been headed in the last five or six years. Don't get me wrong. Or I mean, really, probably the last fifteen years. Oh yeah. Um. Don't get me wrong. I have. We've all reaped the benefits of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not discounting in every way, shape, or form. But that is the the epitome of what life is about. You head down a direction, and you you may reap benefits for years because it's no matter what anybody tells you, there's no way that you can foresee what's going to happen in 15 or 20 years. There's no, no way you can see foresee what's going to happen in five. Look at this right now. <laughs> we're in. A, we're we've got a real estate podcast, right? Right. For the last. Seven or eight weeks, we've been talking about doing deals and how to do deals and in this current market. Right. That Guess what? The that market. It's gone. That market is over. It's gone. It yeah. is over. Now, I'm not telling that to scare everybody. And be no. like, oh, my God, no, you no. can't invest. Uh, to be honest with you, it's we're in really the good. process of writing offers right now. Massive amounts of offers for properties. Right. Because I believe that when other people are scared, that's the best time to act. It is. And so, um, but that's what I'm saying is, is that. That market that we've been preaching in the frameworks and all that stuff, that's done. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still think the same They're frameworks still applicable. Yeah. Yeah. works, yeah. but you have to look different. You have you to do. look for different opportunities. You have to look, yeah. you have to market differently. You have to do all these things differently. And that shift has been something that we've actually hit on in the shows. 
in, in different shows, but who wouldn't have ever thought in a million years that it would happen this fast? Oh yeah, for sure. And I want to I want to dive into specifically one of those issues. I think what's going to happen is you have a lot of people who have decided to get invested, uh, started get started in investing, start flipping these properties or keeping them as rentals on the Burr strategy. They've now leveraged the property to where they have a 75% loan to value. They have a mortgage on it of 75%. And if they miss one payment from their renters, they can't make that payment. They can't cover it. Mm-hmm. And then what's going to happen is they're going to have to short sell those properties to other investors such as myself who does have those cash reserves. Right. So exactly. it is actually a really good time for investors right now to watch for good deals. Now, that, that again, that I don't want to be able, I don't want all of my reserves to go toward this. So here's what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm contacting every person who rents from me and I'm saying, look, guys, here's the situation. I know we're all hurting right now. We don't know what's going to happen in the next two weeks, um, but you you stay in one of my properties. And, and, and what I have to do is I have to make sure that we're all working together to make this bad situation as good as we can. So I'm approaching each person who rents from me and I'm telling them, hey, look, this is the mortgage on the property. This is the markup that I make for the maintenance and uh, the property management fees. Of course, I do my own property management, but I do charge myself a fee to keep that business right. separate. And then I say, look, if you can just make the mortgage payment, which as an example, I have a property that's rented out for $2,200 a month. The mortgage payment is $1,700. So if you can just make the mortgage payment of $1,700, I'll absorb the additional $500 and pay the property management fees or whatever. Again, I'm paying myself. So it's robbing Peter to pay Paul. But the mortgage is getting paid. I'm helping my tenant out, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm already having these conversations about, hey, guys, look, what you're seeing on TV and what you're seeing, especially on Facebook, about you not having to pay your rent April 1st is not true. It's not true at all. And I can tell you that if we don't, if, if you don't communicate with me and let me know, you know, if you're going to be late or whatever, normal eviction proceedings will start taking place because those are HUD homes only. I am not under that umbrella. Right. So, I mean, that's... Right. That's just kind of where I'm at with this, and and you know I also manage a lot of property for other people. So not only am I having that conversation with my guys who rent from my properties, but right. I'm having that conversation with all the tenants of all the property owners that uh, of the properties that I manage. Of course, I'm not offering the discount for them like I'm offering for myself, but um, you know that's that's one of the ways that I'm trying to weather this storm and this uncertainty. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's very crucial. Um, we've been having some conversations with similar. Um, commercial tenants and things like that. Like, you know, businesses shut down. It's hard to pay rent, especially if you're leasing and then you agree to pay your employees two, three, four weeks of wages, or even if it's discounted wages, you know, to basically cover the, the weather, the storm. Right. Um, you know what I'm hoping, I mean, this is just wishful thinking, I think, but what I'm hoping, you know, I, I saw that, you know, the U.S. government has tried to put together a stimulus that includes sending every American a thousand dollar check. I think that's nuts. Personally, agreed. Um, first of all, thousand dollars is—I realize it's something, but I would say fifty percent of American families that lasts a week, maybe two, yeah. even on a budget. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and so my concern is—is is, uh, 
again, if it's somebody that's renting and things like that, yes, that thousand dollars can last a month probably. Right. Um, but someone that's owns a home, has a mortgage, things like that, that's not even going to scratch the surface. What I would like to see is those that own property, um, get some type of mortgage relief right. for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days. Like, look, I can pay my mortgage for the next foreseeable future right um without working and not without selling another property without doing anything um I, you know i have a couple side businesses that are still very very active it doesn't require me to go out i can work from home and do them um that i could ramp up marketing on and things like that that i think would still be very very applicable in um you know in in this in any market for that matter um so but, but the thing that scares me again is just that there are a lot of people not only investors um, that not only investors that, you know, have overpaid for rental properties and things like that, but also at the end of the day, we've got a lot of corporate debt right now. Oh yeah. You know, big companies have a lot of debt. We've got a lot of people that have bought homes, you know, again, the mortgage and the lending requirements have been much stricter than they were in 2008. But you have to remember something. When you're doing low equity, you know, mortgages, there's always the risk of not being able to to afford said mortgage and you don't have cushion to go back on. Right. And that is the big fear that I have for what's to come. Because I think, again, like I said, I'm not fearful of what this is going to be like in six to 10 months. Right. Um, I'm just fearful what it's going to be like in the next three or four. Yeah. I mean, Um, because because what I don't want to do, like that's one thing on this show that I think we've been very applicable. We do want to take advantage of opportunities, right? but we also don't want to be scumbags. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like we don't want to be taking advantage of people's homes and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that, that maybe need help, just like the the family you had in Franklin, right? You know that you helped out. We don't want to be the. At the end of the day, I'm here to help improve community, improve you know the connections of people, improve those kind of things. I'm not here to just make a dollar, right? So yeah, and you had mentioned earlier the um, the tornadoes that we recently had here in Nashville, mm-hmm. and it made me sick to my stomach the next day to see people posting on our, our Facebook page that we're a part of. Oh, I have this house uh, with tornado damage available in East Nashville for this amount. Mm-hmm. The owners just need to get their stuff out and then you can buy it for this. And, you know, they didn't even it's have sickening. time to process what happened. And you already had these real well, estate sh- investors, if you want to call them that, um, more like sharks. Well, um, I mean, it's, it's this, unfortunately, with any industry, in any catastrophe, right? There's always going to be people that are, again, let's call it what it is, like scumbags. Right. You know, they're going to do things that it's only about the dollar. I mean, I, I saw, you know, talking about the coronavirus. You know, everybody knows store shelves have been empty over toilet paper and hand sanitizer for well over a week. Talking about the guy with the seventeen thousand bottles. Bought seventeen thousand <laughs> bottles yeah. of hand sanitizer and was marking it up like a bottle that cost five bucks and was trying to sell it for like. 30 or $40. Yep. And then when they confronted him about it, Oh, well, I was just trying to make a buck. No, you were trying to, you know, 
like in, in a nutshell, destroy people's bank accounts over necessity items. I mean, those kind of things. Again, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I mean, I see stuff all the time of, you know, no matter what industry you're in, whether you're doing build to rent homes, you're doing, you're buying rental packages, you're a Wall Street firm that's buying rental packages, you're in Airbnb, you're in all these, whatever. We need to talk about that. For sure. For sure. But um, whatever industry you're in, it seems that the different industries, unfortunately, sometimes pit against each other and try to right. bad mouth this guy or do this. And look, I, I saw a post the other day and I really like this guy and I'm not going to, you know, name him or whatever, but I saw him like throwing basically uh, people that sell portfolios to, to bigger, you know, bigger um, uh, firms under the bus about them over inflating property values. And this guy deals tons in short-term rental in Nashville. <laughs> You're overinflating property values too. Right. Like, I mean, like, don't, don't, the old saying, like, don't throw stones in a glass house. Right. You know, and it's like, again, I don't comment on those things. Like, I, I'm not, you got to do you. You're the one that's sleeping with yourself at night. You know, right. like, at the end of the day, like, I, I, I'm not going to judge anyone for doing what they're doing as long as they're doing it and not trying to cause harm to people directly. Right. So, what, what I am doing, and I just want you guys to know this, and Seth, you to know this, and I want to hear what you're doing, because everybody's so uncertain about what, what, what to do right now. Um, I currently have three flips going. I've got two wholesale properties that I'm trying to shop out. Um, once those are done, I, I, I mean, frankly, I'm just going to hunker down for a couple of weeks, you know, just so I can get an idea of what the landscape's going to look like in a month. Sure. You know, I had the opportunity, these two wholesale deals, you know, they're good properties. Like I would close on these if we weren't in the current environment that we're in. Um, but I don't want to have five flips going right now in this current environment. It's just too risky. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I've got money set aside for reserves for all my rental properties. I've got money set aside for my family to, to sustain ourselves without either one of us working for the next month or two or three, mm-hmm. if we have to. Um, and, and that's kind of how I'm preparing and I'm just kind of, I'm not, I'm not going to let a really good deal pass me by. Like if I can find another house in Columbia for 27 grand, right. uh, you know, I'll buy it. Um, but I'm kind of being way more cautious than I was even a week ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just purchased one in East Nashville a week ago and had I have it to do over again, knowing what I know today of what's happened over the last five days, I probably wouldn't have done it because mm-hmm. I still would have had two properties that we're working on. And anyway, it's just, I think everybody for the foreseeable future, meaning the next two or three weeks needs to be a little bit more cautious. Um, I I saw a recommendation from a a fellow investor who is very big in the Nashville area who said, um, take whatever the after rehab value is and multiply it by 80%, um, which is going to give you 80% after rehab value and then start deducting Mm -hmm. your uh, then you use your 70% rule on that. And then you t- deduct your expenses. Mm-hmm. From, basically what he's saying is that property values in his opinion could go down 15, 20%. Yep. I don't foresee that happening and he's being very, very cautious. Um, but you know, for now I'm going to use that approach, you know, just until I know what the landscape looks like in three weeks. Yep. What about you? What are you doing? Well, believe it or not, we're actually, like I said earlier or, or told you earlier, I'm, we're actually ramping up offers. Um, we're trying to, you know, get our cash in place because we truly believe that within, you know, 
10 to 12 months, it's going to be back to business as usual. Um, but it's an opportunity to be able to, like you just said, shave 20, 30% off of a property, whether it's dirt or existing buildings or whatever. Um, you know, I think confidence is still super, will, will be super high once we get through this again. Um, but I think it's just creating an opportunity. I think I've, I've also ramped up my contacts on raising funds because I think people are going to start pulling their money out of the stock market right now. And I, I want to be in place for when confidence starts coming back, instead of them sticking their money back in the stock market, they're going to come to me. Right. And so, Smart. um, I, I think, I think that's what you have to be doing. You have to, you have to shift with the times, right? You know, whatever it is, um, you know, we're, we're kind of doing something similar. We're, we're still being very, very cautious. We're making a lot of offers, but we're making a lot of offers with, um, significant discount right? because, um, at the end of the day, we're, we're not going to overpay for a property right now. Right. We're not going to do it. If you want to try to hang on to it because uncertain, the uncertainty is not only for us, but it's for sellers too. Um, you know, I had a seller that had reached out to me not too long ago and asked me about buying their property and we had made them an offer. They wanted about 20% more than what we were willing to give. Actually called me yesterday and said, Hey, would your original offer stand? Unfortunately, no. Right. You know, I'm, I, I have to protect my own investment at this point. And I don't know if we'll get to an offer or not, but right. they asked me to write up another offer and, you know, they're probably not going to like it because, you know, I would have stuck almost another quarter of a million dollars in their pocket last month, last month, I would have stuck right. another quarter million dollars in their pocket. I'm glad that we right. didn't purchase it. Right. Um, but you know, we're, we're looking hard, um, still because I do believe that at the end of the day, people are going to need housing. Especially now the disaster that we've had. For sure. People are going to need housing. People are going to need places to go. And we want to be poised to help that process, you know, going forward. But I think the the biggest thing that you have to, from at least from my business, because if you're in the building business and things like that, the biggest thing that you have to pay attention to is not so much just the market as far as buying and selling and all that, but supply chain right now, that is, that is something that we are paying attention to more than, more than I've, I've never paid attention to it to my entire life ever. And now I'm watching it all the time because I think with this shift, we're going to experience quite a bit of disruptions in that. And when that happens, it's going to take it a little while to iron out and we're going to experience, you know, for example, Lumber costs have been rising for years. Right. We're going to experience a massive dip, most likely, for about a month or two because building's not going on. Right. And then it's going to hyperinflate over the span of 12 months. And when I say hyperinflate, I'm talking about it may price people out of the building market. So if you've got projects that you are working on, you better lock in your lumber pricing right now. You know, you hope that the suppliers that you have make good on it because if they run out of material, you're they just can't make good on it until the future. Right. Um, but 
that's the big thing that I see going forward is watching that. Because if you're not watching that, you're really setting yourself up to get some major surprises. Yeah, so. for sure. Well, I think that's I, – I, I think maybe when I presented the way I'm doing it, I was a little bit more doom and gloom that you were, than mm-hmm. you were and maybe a little bit more reclusive. But mm-hmm. as I did mention, and I probably should have focused on this a little bit more, if the right deal comes, I'm still going to buy it. So right. I, th- I think I think it's a combination of both, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, it's making sure that every deal you get is the best deal that you can possibly get, not stretching to make a deal work right now because mm-hmm. the market's just too uncertain, but then also not crawling back into a shell, shutting your business down and not doing anything. I, I think the biggest struggle for, especially the people who are going to be listening to this right now who are kind of like our first adopters, right? They're going to be people who are in my situation who are either on a W-2 income that makes 40, 50, 60 mm-hmm. grand a year, maybe mm-hmm. if they're lucky a little bit more, uh, or they're a real estate agent making maybe a hundred grand, but it's inconsistent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're wanting to get into the real real estate investing side of it. Um, and so for them, instead of having a, a, you know, the ability to go write all these multiple offers like you do, cause you have a money partner and you mm-hmm. guys have an established business. And mm-hmm. these guys are basically single entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, they have to be a little bit more cautious and can't go write all of these offers. But what mm-hmm. you can do is you can keep those reserves in the bank account. You can keep your personal finances in order and then just kind of figure out where the landscape is two or three weeks from now. And then if the right deal in the meantime comes, I, I cannot, jump on it. I could not agree with you more. I think you, should if you're just getting started and you, and like you said your your financial means are not you know you don't have a hundred two hundred three hundred thousand dollars sitting around that you can invest um, unless it's private money I mean unless you've got connection to private money where you can go and make multiple offers on discounted properties sure that's a different story but you need to right now you've got time at home most of most people that are listening are probably sitting at the house because their workplace is closed down. We talked about taking an inventory of the content and and things that you're consuming. You also need to take an inventory of every dollar that you're spending right now. And only, 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 only keep the necessities. Right. You know, I I saw a great post today. He's a good friend of mine. His name's Jared Garfield. He's out of Alabama. Well, he lives in Atlanta, but he does a lot of investing in Huntsville, Birmingham. Does some some stuff in Atlanta. Um, He made a post on Facebook that I could not agree more with. And that is take an inventory of every dollar you're spending. If you've got Hulu and Netflix and YouTube and cable and all that stuff, cut it to one, whatever it is, cut it to one, your favorite one, be done with it. If you've got subscriptions that, you know, maybe you're not, you know, you, you read once in a great while, cut them. Trim every dollar you can trim. And what you do is, is you put every dollar that you trim off that in an account ready to take advantage of the next deal. That's a good idea. Because yeah. what's going to happen is this moment, you know, this, this moment in time, if you think about this, now think about this in the long term. We had that financial recession in 2008, right? Everybody knows about it. Everybody experienced it. It hit towards the end of 2007, lasted 2008. 2009, the peak of it was in 2010, right? Right. But if you look at who came out unscathed or, or who, who really generated a ton of wealth during that downturn, it was people that started buying in 2009. Oh, yeah. 
They bought in 2009. They bought in 2010. The market started turning around in 2011, and they had a freight train of momentum behind them Mm -hmm. at that point. And that's what you have to do. If you are just getting started, save every dime that you can save. Cut every subscription. Cut everything that you can cut. I mean, I think, you know, we just talked about um, living in the greatest time in history in America in 2020. Mm -hmm. That also is a blessing and a curse. Mm -hmm. You can overconsume. I mean, Good God, I was looking at, I've, I've started doing, I'm practicing what I preach, right? I literally spent um, yesterday, part of the day, I'm doing some more today, doing some more over the weekend, looking at everything I got. Of course, I've got YouTube TV, I've got Hulu, I've got Spotify, Netflix, I've got Netflix, Audible. I've got Audible, I've got all these things, yeah. right? I And what's really crazy is, is I probably buy three or four books, hard copy books a month. Some of them are sitting on the shelves I've never touched. <laughs> I would challenge you if you really, if you are really about being a real estate investor or being a commercial or residential real estate agent, whatever it is around real estate, we can encourage all those things. I would challenge you to cut yourself down to one type of television content kind of thing and buy a bunch of books right now. So the biggest problem for people listening to this, and I can tell you right now. What you're saying makes a ton of sense to me, but it will never happen in this household. Do you know why? Why? It's not me. My wife would not allow that. We have Disney Plus. We have Hulu. (laughs) We have Netflix. We have all of it, right? Uh She won't get rid of Disney Plus because she loves those. She loved those when she was a kid. Uh, Hulu gives us live TV, obviously. And then Netflix has a bunch of great Netflix original stuff. I don't watch that much TV. She does. And so I think the biggest obstacle you guys are going to have to overcome is sit down with your spouse, explain 100%. why you're doing it and how to position yourself to be able to take advantage of this downturn. Not in a, not in a bad way. Like we were talking about scumbags earlier, but in a good way to where you have the money set aside to invest in the opportunities that come along. Yeah. And you know, you talk about that, that, that with your wife, right. Or with your spouse, I think, it's crucial when you have that conversation to say, look, we're going to do this for six months and see where we're at. If the economy's turning around and we're starting to buy deals and do deals again, we can get it again. Disney plus is not going anywhere. Netflix is not going anywhere. You know, people talk about, we live a short life. Well, yeah, we sure do. Do you want to spend it watching Disney Plus and exactly doing things like right. that all the time? Yeah, you would be amazed. Like we we've we've literally Christine and I just had this conversation, and she is on me all the time about unplugging, right? Unplugging, and I, look, I fight her tooth and nail, probably about like what your wife does with you over things because I am always engaging content on LinkedIn. I'm engaging right. content on other social media, trying to you know engage and and get ideas. It's not. It's not just like I don't just engage content on Facebook or LinkedIn to just try to build my brand and stuff like that. I also engage it to to hear what other people are doing, look and research what they're doing to see if it's something that I want to look into or whatever. But um, her and I were talking, and I really believe that we're going to make a a push to like cut. Like we're we're getting ready to move to to Chapel Hill, which right. you know is back down here. Um, we're going to, we were originally talking about turning our house into an Airbnb and short-term rental. I think we're going to sell it. Yeah. I think we're going to sell it. I mean, even if I only walk with, you know, I, I could probably list it right now for four ninety nine nine and get an offer. I think we're going to list it for four seventy. Let me, let me, can I pause you right there? Sure. And I'll tell you why, when you said that in my head, I started screaming to you, 
you need to do that because I have an Airbnb, you know, mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, it's mainly travel nurses that rent mine. So mm-hmm. they're, they're still packed right now, mm-hmm. but I had some people who had randomly, uh, scheduled them, uh, one in August, one in July, one in September. Uh, they weren't getting cancellations, nurses. aren't you? Every single person who's not a travel nurse, uh, has canceled their reservation on that. And they canceled it, uh, on Tuesday. Wednesday, I get an email from Airbnb saying, hey, uh, we're sorry we meant to email this out before we start, before we enacted the policy, but uh, we have now decided to override your refund policy. This was, this was Airbnb-wide. This was for every host mm-hmm. on Airbnb. We have now decided to override your refund policy, even though they were outside of the uh, outside of the refund period. We have uh, considered this an exigent circumstance, and we are processing 100% refunds for every person who's canceled mm-hmm. and who will cancel between now and I think it was like mid uh, April. Mm-hmm. And um, just I guess it, that'll probably extend if this keeps going, but. Uh, and then the very next day, Airbnb sends me an email saying, hey, we want you to know what we're doing to help you. You know what their answer to this was? Not only did they cancel the bookings on behalf of me and refund the money without authorizing it through me at all. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's their platform, right? Right. Um, but I was not notified until after it was done. And then on our behalf, they sent a, a letter to Nancy Pelosi uh, asking her to uh, help the Airbnb owners prevent their businesses from going bankrupt essentially. And instead of doing a thousand dollar checks to people or whatever, they encourage to do mortgage relief uh, or or whatever for the, for the Airbnb owners. Right. You know, I'm all about trying to figure out a way, as you heard earlier, the way that I'm handling it with my Mm long-term tenants, I'm all about trying to figure out a way to do it, but I don't want that decision being taken out of my hand from another company like Airbnb nor do I definitely want them reaching out to a legislature to try to get me money that they took away from me, right? And and then because ultimately, I'm just going to be paying for it twice. I paid for it when I lost the booking on the front end, then I paid for it again in my taxes because I just had to cut the check to the IRS uh, a month ago. Mm -hmm. And and that was high, high five figures, Mm -hmm. you know? And I'm not going to see that money again. Yeah. So anyway, I just I say that to say I think what you're, the decision you're making is a very good one because if I can get the opportunity to divest off of um, Airbnb and maybe go to VRBO or, or um, there's a there's one for travel nurses specifically, mm-hmm. if I can just start posting on there and stuff, I may do it because I categorically uh, am not on board with the way they handled that situation at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I, I'm, we've, we've kicked the idea around and we've had some, we've had some good feedback. I mean, the, the proposal that we got from this management company was going to put about a thousand dollars a month in our pockets after expenses management. We didn't have to touch it. Uh, I mean, after mortgage, everything. And we were highly considering it uh, about a week, week and a half ago. Um, then what happened was we just ran into, you know, this, whole deal and you know we know that that folks are going to need homes right. and that's you know with the tornado and all that stuff it tore just as many new construction down as it did old homes yep and so what we thought is is you know this is we need to now are we going to give our house away no but we're going to list it for a very reasonable price um i think we talked about either 374.9 or 370 or i mean excuse me 474.9 or 470 um, it'll appraise at around 500, maybe no, even over 500. I mean, um, there are some 
attached condos with only 200 more square feet just up the street or I mean townhomes these are detached um, that sold for or that are listed and selling for in the 600s oh wow so I think 500 is pretty easily and they don't have garages either and we've got a one car garage so um, I think that's the plan uh, we're probably going to get that on the market over the weekend and just see you know what happens it kind of sucks we're a little bit nervous about showing obviously because we're still living there right um, but i think what we would do is we'd get it listed and then immediately start getting stuff ready to move to chapel hill right move what we can move now and then um you know go from there so i think i, I want to get out of some of these some of this shorter term stuff um like short-term rental and things like that just just because of the uncertainty of the market. And because anytime it's something that's super short term, whether it's a flip, whether it's even, even new construction, you know, at least that's six to 12 months. But when it's super short term like that, you're looking, the market's too volatile right now. I mean, I don't know people that follow the stock market, but basically stock market reduced itself yesterday to where it was at when Donald Trump started in office. So, um, it's it's sad because I think he's going to shoulder a ton of the blame and it's stuff that's been outside of his control. You know, I think, um, but I think ultimately if you've got stuff that's short term that you can liquidate and get out of right now, you need to do it. Yeah, agreed. I, I really do. I, I think it's, you know, even if you don't make the profit that you were hoping to make, you're doing yourself two things. One you're provide, you know, you're getting yourself out of a, a, a volatile short-term investment. Two, right now, people in Tennessee need homes. You're allowing people to to get out, you know, out of these Airbnbs that they're staying in and things right. like that. Um, that they're probably paying, or well, they're probably not paying overinflated prices now, but they will be. Right. Like when this, like what people don't understand is, is that this this whole economic shutdown is going to have ripples in it. Oh, big time. You know, it's going to start, you're only going to feel it in certain places right now. And then you're going to feel it in other places. And then you're going to feel it in other places as time goes on. Yeah. And so I think, you know, what will happen with, like, for example, these short-term rental people, people are very considerate. Like, look, I want to talk directly if people that own short-term rentals are listening to me. What they have done for the people during this tornado disaster is is unbelievable. Right. I think that is, that is some of the most unbelievably heartfelt things I've ever seen because Nashville, of course, is a hotbed for tourism and they could be getting way more money doing it to, you know, for tourists. Right. But they've opened their homes and stuff like that and their businesses to, to help people out. And these people are paying massively discounted rates to stay in that, in those homes. Um, but I think once we start feeling what's happening with this economic shutdown, listen, human beings are greedy by nature. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You're going to try to take care of yourself and your family far before you're going to do it to someone else. Yes, when times are good and abundant, you're, you're going to help. Right. But the minute some of these folks start feeling that ripple like, oh, my God, I can't make my mortgage payment and I'm letting this person live in here for half of what I could be getting. Right. They're going to try to go get that. Now, that's assuming that travel resumes, right. you know, right. um, we don't know what's going to happen there either. I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to sound all crazy, but I know that uh, air travel as we know it, I know this for a fact, 
within the next week or so mm-hmm. is done. Done. For a while. Absolutely done. Yep. Um, it's going to happen. I think we're also going to – we're going to see some type of level of mandatory quarantine. It, it, I know it hasn't happened yet, but it will. Um, I think – and I think it's because, again, what I said, we have two factions in this world. We have the faction that is – Mandatory quarantine has right. to happen, blah, 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 blah. And we have the faction that is, we're not doing anything. We don't care. We're not changing our lifestyle. We're not, this is all hoax, like you said. Right. Um, the problem is, is that while I don't think the extreme measures of mandatory quarantine on this group, you know, this faction is right. If the other group won't budge to the middle, it's the only way. Right. My, my only my only major concern with that is we we've talked about being in America in 2020 is by far the best place in this timeline or this world mm-hmm. to live. Right. And the right. reason why is because of the amount of freedoms that we have. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, we have I heard the statistic the other day. I think it's we currently have 17, if I'm not mistaken, national emergencies currently active that span all the way back to 73. So if they can enact, really, yes, yeah, interesting. And so, just Google it. I may be a little wrong on the numbers, but it's somewhere in the teens, and it's all the way back to seventy three. Is the last is the is the latest one? Um, And so, my concern with that is if they can do some type of mandatory quarantine now, how are we ever going to get that power back from the federal government? That was never that was never something that should have been uh, that would have ever been tolerated with the constitution and with the original founders of this country. Now, if the state, if the governor came to us and said, Hey, uh, you know, the state of Tennessee is going to do this or the state Mm -hmm. of Florida or the state Mm -hmm. of Texas or whatever is going to do this. That's one thing, right? Any power not left to the states or I'm sorry, any, any power not expressly given to the federal government was left to the states. The power to shut us all in our home and quarantine us was never a power given to the federal government. Sure. No. I, so I, anyway, that's that's my only concern. No, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think, unfortunately, the problem, though, is that maybe it's a lack of actual, you know, maybe the social distancing that we've actually enacted on ourselves over the last 10 to 15 years um, inadvertently has created this division or our political views. Of, some, something, something in this country yeah. has... Yeah. Has has taken people away from having cons- con- well, I shouldn't say everyone, but a vast majority of our population doesn't have concern for their neighbor. You're exactly right, and it's the political division from the media is what it is. I think it's that. I think it's media. I think I think there's so many parts yeah. of it. I, I don't. I think I don't think you can point your finger at one, you know, particular aspect right. and say this is why. Right. I think yeah. it's a cumulative you know, cesspool really. It really is. And when, you know, I came from a very small town, man. Like I said earlier, like I, when people passed away or, or, you know, somebody lost their house in a fire, the community took care of that person. Everybody stepped up. Like seeing this in Nashville Nashville. over the tornado was awesome. It was. But, you don't see that often. Right. You know, like, and here now we have this coronavirus. And no, you're wrong. I think social distancing is is very crucial. Right. But at the same time, does that mean, like, that we need to be pointing fingers at each other? Like, right. like oh, you know, 
you went and did this or, oh, you're going to go do this. And you bought up all the toilet paper. Well, you bought up all the hand sanitizer. Right. And it's like, guys, we need to figure out ways to share. Like, let's, let's put in perspective. You don't need to go. I, I told this and it's kind of a joke and I'll, I'll end my soapbox with this. You don't need to go. First of all, this is a respiratory virus. Right. This is not a, excuse my language, diarrhea virus. Right. Okay. Right. You don't need 300 rolls of toilet paper. No. First of all, let's just say hypothetically we get on this mandatory quarantine and it lasts six months. Right. And you can't leave your house other than necessities. Hence the end of my sentence. Other than necessities. Toilet paper is a necessity. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But let's just pretend that we're out of toilet paper for the next 10 years. Every single person that has a house or an apartment or lives indoors has a shower. Right. Like, yeah, that's not the ideal way (laughs) to facilitate going to the restroom. Hey, I wonder if this is going to be our transition here in America to bidets. To to bidets. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) we we made that joke the other day. She said, this would be the time where if we could invent like a portable bidet, we would get rich. And literally... Literally, I'm not even joking you. The very next day, there's a freaking ad on Facebook, Facebook. for somebody that has created this dang, uh, you know, bidet. And see, people think, you know, like we were talking about, like people buying up all this hand sanitizer and right. trying to profit off of it and all that stuff. Well, I have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with ingenuity. Right. Yeah, you for go sure. build a portable bidet that people could just snap on the toilet seat right. and clean up. I, I wanted to say something different, but, um, you know, then there, then, then I, I think that's great. Right. But again, I, I, the, the sheer panic that, that people are, are engaging in is I think my problem. Right. So, I think this is a good time to end it, Seth. Um, you know, I just, I want to tell you guys what I'm going to be doing over the next few weeks other than, you know, obviously I'm going to keep managing my business. I'm going to keep doing as much work as I can and, and, you know, spending time with my family. You have to. Um, but as far as like all this negativity and everything you're seeing online and, and all the, the, the scarcity mentality of the toilet paper, the hand sanitizer, and just the terror that everybody's going through right now. I think the biggest thing that you guys can do to prevent as much of that from creeping into your mind and getting you in business paralysis uh, would be turn off social media. Stop looking at Facebook the first thing when you get up in the morning. Stop looking at it while you're going to bed because I I can scroll through my Facebook feed right now and of every 10 posts that I see, nine of them, if not all 10, are something related to the coronavirus. Yep. And it's just not something that you need to be consuming 24 hours a day. No, it, it, it creates even more. And, and I would, I'll add to that point, you know, I'm doing the same thing. We're, we're looking still, I mean, we're not shutting down. We're not going to shut our doors and try to figure out, you know, like this is some kind of zombie apocalypse because it's not. Right. Um, but what I would challenge people to do is, is take a look at history Take a look at take a little bit when you do, and, and take some perspective, and ask yourself: Are we a group and a nation that lays down and quits, or are we a resilient group? And I really, truly believe that 
75 to 80 percent of americans are very very resilient very. especially in the face of tragedy right. or you know disaster or anything like that and so i asked you do you think that this is going to be the quote unquote end of america or the end of the world i mean good god i'm 37 years old and i feel like i've lived through 20 you know potential ends, ends of the right. world yep. and we keep we keep staying here i i think if you're religious pray if you're not religious, meditate. Like you just said, get off social media. Take a little bit of an unplug. That's something that I'm going to try to dedicate myself to, at least from from a personal social media standpoint. Right. Business social media is a little bit different. Yeah. As long as you're, again, not seeing coronavirus every right. day, which I'm not. Most of the people that I deal with, like on LinkedIn and stuff, we, we all made our opinion speeches about coronavirus at this point, and We've moved on right. and we're talking about ideas and talking about ways to, to, to do business together and things like that. Those are the things that push the economy, push and push the country forward. Yes. We're always going to experience tragedy. We're, there's never going to be a time in modern history that we don't experience something. Right. I mean, it's happened to societies dating back as far as history was recorded. Yeah, for sure. We just have to make sure that we keep perspective, look for the positives and things. You know, my mom always says this too shall pass. Even, you know, I can remember when I was in my twenties and would have business failures or whatever she would, you know, I'd call her and I'd be crying on the, maybe not crying, but like whining, <laughs> like a little spoiled brat, basically like, Oh, right. my business. I'm just not meant for this and blah, 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 blah. And she would always say this too, she'll pass. And of course I heard it so many times that eventually I was like, you know what? I don't want to hear that mom, you know, but the truth is, is that, you know, I feel like I've gotten a little wiser as I've gotten older, maybe not a lot, but some. Right. And I truly believe that it's true. This too shall pass. We'll figure out a way through. We'll, we'll, we'll make this work for everyone. We'll, we'll, we will persevere. This is not ultimately. a time to wallow in self-pity. This is a time to look for the opportunities that may not be uh, as visible as they were a week ago, but the, the opportunities that you do find will be a thousand times better because you worked harder to find them. They're going to be more gratifying, more rewarding once you actually convert them or you actually uh, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. And again, just unplug, get away from all the negativity and just go ahead, Seth. I think something else too. I hear a lot of investors all the time that are, are investors and that, that maybe are working nine to fives. We always encourage people to invest in themselves. You know, you went to funnel hacking live not too long ago. Those are, those are forms of investing yourself. This is the perfect time, right? It's a perfect time to invest in yourself. Yeah. Invest in you. You would be so surprised what you can accomplish over the next week or two about your own mindset, about your own ideas, about your own frameworks, just getting stuff ready, mm-hmm. you know, especially those that are maybe trying to get started. Right. It would be amazing to what you can do if you just focus on those things. If we do get this quarantine that they talk about, whether it be a week or two weeks, whatever, why wake up every morning, check Facebook, wallow in it, sit around, watch TV. Yeah, you're probably going to have your kids at home with you. Have them go play, read a book about your business development, read a book about real estate, real estate investing, whatever your passion is. Right now I'm talking to a general audience, whether you you know are part of the real estate investing community or not. Dedicate yourself over the next week or two if we do have this quarantine. Dedicate yourself to, 
to pursuing your passions that you are uh, and the things that you're interested in instead of just wallowing in the, and just contributing exactly. more and more to this exactly. negativity and this self-pity. It's not going to do anybody any good. What will do you good, have some introspection, figure out what you could have done to prepare better for this. And then if and when another uh, need like this arises, another time like this arises, you'll be more prepared than you were this time. Exactly. Persevere at the end of the day. That's the word. Improvise, adapt, overcome. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for joining us once again for this episode of the Real Estate Investing Show. If you need to reach Seth or myself, reach out to us on our Facebook page at the Real Estate Investing Show or visit us on our website, which is the Real Estate Investing Show.fm. Mm-hmm.